Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in times of war, the enemy often tries to go for the bridges. Destroying bridges is a way of keeping people apart and dividing countries. If the bridge is made to look untrustworthy, then people will not want to cross it. In the Old Testament, the temple, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, with all the atoning sacrifices was like a bridge that connected the people on earth to their God in heaven. Just as Christ Jesus connects us to, to God today, God's people could only come to their holy God through the atoning work of sacrifices that were offered to him with, with humble and submissive hearts. At this bridge in the Old Testament, the priests were ordained to serve like encouraging gatekeepers who stood as representatives of both God and the people so that the people could draw near to the Lord. And you can see then that when the priests were unfaithful, it was a serious blow to the church's enjoyment of their Heavenly Father. And our passage today is all about how God responded to unfaithful priests. Although his church found themselves powerless to change their desperate situation, we see in our text God himself reaching in to clean up the mess at the bridge. But this is more than just a history lesson, but something that happened long ago in the past for it is a revelation of God's grace to us today. How God intercedes to ensure that we always have access to Him. We rejoice as we read this passage to see God's desire to, to live in fellowship with His church on earth. We see in our passage how God will constantly protect the gateway to heaven. He'll constantly protect his church so that there will always be a way to him through Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. And the good news is that although there may be resistance to God, especially from the people here on earth, there is nothing that any person can do to separate people who are in Christ from his gracious work in the world. This is the gospel in our passage that I preach to you under the theme that the Lord ensures there will always be a way for his people to come to him. We'll see in our passage the way obscured and the way kept open and the way we walk. If you have your Bibles open in front of you, you can see right away in verse 12 that the, the sons of Eli were worthless Men and, and the words the Spirit uses to describe these sons associates them with the devil's work. They, they were sons of Belial. And although they were serving in the office of the Lord's mediators, the bridge keepers, we read they did not know the Lord. They did not know Yahweh. They had no notion of God's holiness, His glory, His love for his covenant people. They, they didn't know about his grace and his saving work. We see that they were not content 
with the generous share of meat that the Lord gave to the priests from from all the offerings of the people of Israel. Chapter 2, verse 28. And so they robbed the Lord. They robbed the worshipers of the portions of the sacrifices that belonged to them. And they robbed them with the the three-pronged fork and with threats of violence. The sons of Eli were sleeping with the women who ministered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And although these sins were were being spread abroad and and reported to Eli, the the high priest, Eli honored his sons above God. Verse 29, he did not remove them from the priesthood. He did not make any effort to keep the way open. The priests were partying like pagans, like we sang in in Psalm 78, they were, they were serving worthless idols. They were zealous in this. They were selfishly focused on all the sinful desires of, of the flesh. They were abusing their power to, to keep the sex and the barbecues going strong. And all this happened in the place that was supposed to be the most holy place in all the land. The bridge to, to peace with God had grown rotten to the core. Right right in the church, there was a rottenness. And so the way to the Lord was obscured by the very servants whom God had chosen from all the tribes of Israel. As we read in verse 27 to 28, the history lesson of our Lord, He had chosen them of, of all the tribes to be His priests, to serve the Lord above all at His altar where the sacrifices for sin were offered up to burn incense, to represent the prayers of the people before God, to wear an ephod, to have that holy presence visible in the land. And so you can see why in verse 17, the text says, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And as we read this, we see how the passage is revealing to us today how the devil attacks his church, his church of all ages, his church today as well. It's not just outright persecution, but it's also through worthless people pretending to be servants of God, pretending to be Christians, members of the church, while at the same time treating worship with contempt. We read of contempt, we read of scorn, We read of treating God lightly. The way to God is obscured when people who call themselves Christians, members of of Christ's church, and especially the the spiritual leaders, the, the parents in the homes, when they scorn the faithful worship of God, when they treat God's holy word, His promise of forgiveness of sins, And the hope of eternal life as if these things are just fairy tales or myths. As we read this, it makes us ask the question, do we understand the absolute necessity of having peace with the creator of heaven and earth? That to live outside of the favor of God And the forgiveness of sins means to remain under 
his everlasting curse? Do we understand the importance of gathering and worship? Or are we kind of just playing along with what everyone else in our families is doing, while at the same time constantly seeking to fulfill our own selfish desires? You see, the devil wants you to think that your life is all about the party, the desire to fulfill your your sinful longings. He wants you to think that the gifts that, that God has given you are not enough to satisfy your heart, so you try rob and and take more for yourself. He wants to to obscure the way to God in Christ Jesus by making a mockery of obedience to God's commandments. He wants school children to say or teenagers to say one to the other if if one chooses to do what is holy, to, to make fun of them, to belittle the way to God in true worship. And the Spirit warns us in this text, you may even do this through people who are supposed to be spiritual leaders in your lives, through, the, through parents who, who don't show a seriousness about the faith, or office bearers, so that God's people might be tempted to sin because of their leader's contempt for holy things. Well, the good news in our text is that our holy God, He, he can see it when The people obscure the way to peace with him, and and he takes action. It's striking to read that Eli's sons would not listen, it's verse 25, they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Those who persist in scorning the Lord's saving work in the world will find that there is an end to God's patience. They will be given over to their own hardness of heart so they will be unable to repent. It's a hard, hard saying. It's a hard thing to to understand. When the Lord sent the man of God to Eli, he was not calling Eli and his sons to repentance, but was announcing God's curse upon them for their scorning God, their, their kicking against God, their refusal to repent. So the message of condemnation is for them, it was too late, they weren't going to repent, but it comes to us. That's why God still sent that man of God to Eli. And if we look at all that, the curse language, the verses that follow in, in, in what the man of God said, verses 27 and following, we could see that it's It's not very easy to understand. It's actually very difficult to translate as well. But the overall message is very clear. There will be punishment and there will be judgment. The sign of the death of both Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons, in the same day, it makes it very obvious what God is is saying to Eli. And then several times the Lord tells Eli that in future generations, There will not be an old man in his house, verse 31, 32, and 33. The emphatic statement, it's called a promise that God had had made to Aaron's sons that they would always be priests, he he announced that was conditional on their continuing to be priests, their continuing to serve as priests. 
And now war and disease would afflict Eli's family so they would be unable to have a part in God's saving work. Remember, this is coming to us as a warning. Eli and his sons were made irrelevant in the kingdom of God rather than useful. A family of forgotten graves. We read living in distress, they would only watch from outside as God blessed the rest of, of Israel. They would be excluded. They would be the, the cause of, of weeping and grieving for those who were spared from death to serve at the altar. Probably a reference to Abiathar. They would be outsiders from the priesthood who would need to resort to, to begging for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread. This is the curse of the covenant for all who reject the grace of God in rebellion and ignorance. And the Holy Spirit reveals this to us so that we don't scorn God's holiness with a a false faith and an imagined mercy for unrepentant sinners. The warning is, is clear for everyone to see. And it comes even to those who have received the wonderful promises from God. Even to the line of Aaron, his children, there's no automatic salvation. If you are being unfaithful to the Lord, if your neighbor cannot tell you apart from any other unbeliever, if you are leading a a worthless life so that the name of Christ is blasphemed among the unbelievers, then you are behaving like the worthless sons of Eli. If you make a mockery out of approaching God in prayer, if you abuse spiritual authority, if you are laying with men or women who are not your wives or husbands, if your life is all about getting more stuff for yourself and and you only use the church as your cover to deceive yourself into thinking that you will be okay, then you do not know the Lord. That's what the passage of Scripture is telling us today. These sins are very great in the sight of the Lord where you are treating the way of salvation in Christ with contempt. Well, the clear point for us today is that the Lord does not tolerate those who use His name in vain, who hinder others from drawing near to Him in sincerity and truth, like parents could do to their children. Well, God promises if that's happening, He Himself will step in. He removes those who block the bridge. The Lord makes this clear when he announced a replacement priesthood that would ensure that everyone would always be able to come to the Lord. You see that in the second point, the way is kept open. And this way is something that is slowly being revealed to us. It's a growing revelation. There's, There's points throughout this passage, points of light and hope. You can see that thread You see it in Hannah's prayer for a son to be dedicated to the Lord in chapter 1, verse 11. You see the giving of the son to the the Lord at Shiloh from a very young age in chapter 1, verse 28. 
And then you see that repeated mention of, of this little boy Samuel who was ministering before the Lord and then growing up in stature and favor with the Lord. It's in verse chapter 2, verse 11. And then it comes again in 2, verse 18. And then right in the middle there, we, the passage 2, verse 26. And then chapter 3, verse 1. This underlying, quiet, long-term work of God to bring change and reformation to his church through Samuel was then announced in no uncertain terms when the man of God not only told Eli that the corrupt priesthood would be eliminated, but when he also promised a faithful priest. And if you look with me now to 1 Samuel 2, verse 35, you can see that although at first it seems somewhat hidden, and insignificant, we find here one of the, the key texts in the history of redemption. It actually, speaking personally, it caught me off guard. I, I was surprised to find it there as I went through Samuel because when we learned all those key texts, it was so focused on the eternal kingship, the very little emphasis on the eternal priesthood. But here we read, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed, that's my Messiah, my Christ, forever. The Lord himself would keep the way open. The Lord himself would, would intervene through this appointed priest that would serve the Lord. And look how it speaks of how he would serve the Lord, not only according to the Lord's heart, but also according to the Lord's mind. What a, what a revelation of the Lord's concern for, for his church and, and for, for our well-being. The work of God's appointed priest would be effective. It's a revelation of God's invincible grace. God himself would be known through his priest's obedience. You could see the heart and the mind of, of the Lord God we worship through this promised priest. And then using language that he would later only use to talk about the throne of David, the famous 2 Samuel 7 verse 27 the Lord says here that the house of the faithful appointed priest would be established forever. The use of the word forever, all the days, it points to a work of God that would exceed the work that any human priest would accomplish. Well, now we wonder who is this faithful priest? Well, we look forward to the developments in the Old Testament. If we turn your, in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. You'll see that the Lord, in verse 26, we're going to be looking at verse 26 and 35, that the Lord fulfilled the word that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh when King Solomon expelled Abiathar. That was the last priest in Eli's line. And then in verse 35, you can read that he appointed Zadok in his place to minister before the Lord's anointed kings. There's a switch in the priesthood, just like the Lord had said in our text. 
David and his descendants, we read in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 22, what would have Zadok and his line always ministering before him. The, the, that's him ministering before the anointed kings. And so the Lord threw out the corrupt priesthood. He replaced it with a faithful priesthood. And, and all this so that that way to God would always be kept open. It continues in anticipation of the perfect high priest that we'll sing about in Psalm 110. And so when our Lord Jesus came, he fulfilled the office of priests in the Old Testament, all the, the priests in the Old Testament by his work. And we read so that he could establish a better priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. So ultimately, this priest, Jesus Christ, he is the faithful one that the Lord promised to, to his people in Samuel's day, who was prefigured in, in the Old Testament priest and temples and sacrifices. He was the one who was being obscured by unfaithful priests. But the Lord wanted you to know him. He wanted his people to know him, so, so he kept the way open, and he, and he pointed his finger at this eternal priesthood. He pointed his finger at, at Jesus Christ in Samuel's day, and he continues to point to him today in our day. He is the bridge, the way into the glory of our Heavenly Father. And the gospel message for the church of all ages is that the Lord our God is not dependent on sinful human beings. Even when spiritual leaders like you and I, when, when we fail in, in our tasks, it, the Lord will yet keep the way open. In Christ Jesus, the true high priest, the way to peace with God and the way to everlasting life is always open. God has sent a priest and a mediator who announced himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. It was the text displayed when we walked in this morning, John 14, verse 6. That's the gospel message, brothers and sisters. If you are in Christ by faith, that sincere trust, then you are in the Father. For Christ is the way. You really are a citizen of an eternal kingdom. It's not just a myth. We're not just playing a game of church. And those who scorn the Lord's grace will be punished for their contempt. But those who confess their sins and repent and turn to the Lord, they, they will be forever in the presence of our eternal creator of heaven and earth, just as you are Today, God truly loves you. And in his grace, the Lord has ensured that there is always a way to come to him. Everyone who has the Holy Spirit will walk in that way. As our text brings us to the gracious work of, of Jesus Christ who gives everyone who believes in him access to, to fellowship with the Lord we also see the, the covenantal responsibility that we have toward one another, both today and, and in the future. We come into his presence, Psalm 24, through the king, but, but not as individuals. We come as the people of God. 
the way we walk. Reading about how the Lord rebuked Eli for his son's behavior, seeing the the way in front of us, we we have that desire that that we might also walk to God through Christ, not alone, but, but with those around us. We're reminded of our own responsibility toward the next generation. The way we walk will have an impact on the way our children walk, the next generation. We do not want our children showing contempt for the Lord. If we do not want our children scorning the way to salvation that the Lord opened up for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, we need to look at what we are doing, what we are thinking, how we see the Lord. Are we teaching our children to know the Lord as we promised to do at their baptism? For some reason, Eli's sons didn't know the Lord. But we promised, we promised that our children, the next generation, would. And we look at our passages, Parenting 101, or Christian Education for the Church. We want to ensure that our next generation knows the Lord, knows of His justice and His holiness and His grace, that our children know what it looks like to to find in the Lord everything we need for peace and for joy in this life. And looking at our passage, it leads to the next question, are we communicating a consistent message to the next generation about the holiness of God and the need for repentance? Look at Eli, He, he rebuked his sons but had to be rebuked for fattening himself from their thievery. Eli could not remove his sons from office without implicating himself. It's no wonder that Eli's sons didn't pay attention to him. To use meaningful discipline to guide our children to walk in the way of Christ. It is imperative that we ourselves first strive to repent of the sins that we are exhorting others to repent from. Not just because we're worried about what everybody thinks like Eli did, but because we recognize how our sins and the sins of our children offend the Lord our God. There's no way to salvation without genuine repentance. And so it leads to the next question, do we understand ourselves, the nature of sin. Do we ourselves understand the extent of Christ's work as mediator? In 1 Samuel 2 verse 25 we read that Eli taught his sons two very misleading things about sin. He undermined the holiness of God and he undermined the grace of God. Chapter 2 verse 25 He's teaching about sin and he undermines the holiness of God and he undermines the grace of God. For our children should know, first of all, that sins against other people are sins against God. There is no distinction to be made there. Both are offensive against the Lord. 
And second, if you look at chapter 2, verse 25, where he speaks of there being no intercession for some sins, we see the grace of God is greater than that. Jesus Christ is the perfect mediator. Leviticus 16, the the Day of Atonement, it highlights this point. He can intercede for the sins of any person in any office. That's how great the grace of God is to us. If we repent, if we confess, that's what we teach our children. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, the Lord is looking for confession and repentance. And the way is always open to eternal life when we repent, when we trust in Jesus Christ. And the question is, do our children know that the Holy Spirit always wants or always makes us want to live in fellowship with God? That's the underlying problem, isn't it? Eli's sons didn't want to live in fellowship with the Lord. Do our children know that Christians love and want to live in fellowship with God? Or are they seeing parents and leaders who are making it look like something we have to do, some sort of obligation, and not a joy for our hearts? Do they think that we are motivated to be Christians by our fear of punishment or our concern for our reputation among Christian friends? You see, Eli, look how he he, he tried to, to get his sons to change their ways by making them afraid of the Lord and His holiness and making them concerned about their reputation in the land. But our children should know that a change of behavior driven by fear of punishment is not enough. God is looking for a complete change of heart, a a change of heart that comes from knowing who the Lord is, loving Jesus Christ. We're motivated by our love for a Father who loves us. By an understanding that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. Well, the good news of the promise of the eternal priesthood is that we may live every day of our lives knowing that the way to the Father is, is always open to those who repent of their sins and accept Christ and all his benefits. Christ, the perfect sacrifice, is also the perfect mediator who is continually interceding for us before the Father. God has ensured that the way is always open. And he says, come, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. You don't have to stand on the outside in distress looking in. You don't have to pretend. It's real. And we pray that God will open our eyes so we see it, so that we don't treat Christ's work with contempt, that we don't despise the means of of grace, that we we don't make light of, of praying, praying around the table, praying as a family, praying as individuals, walking through the way into peace and glory. 
May we not despise the instruction of the next generation about who the Lord is so that together we may live in the joy and the delight of being his people today and forever. Amen.